0: This week, we're talking about pop culture, which is specifically book maps, which are also movie maps. Uh, These are all all three that we're going to talk about are books and movies. Uh, And then I was thinking that they're also called fantasy maps. All three of these could also be in that genre. So we have three genres, pop culture, no, four genres, pop culture, books, movies, fantasy maps. These fit all of those categories. All of them. Um, <laughs> and okay, so I'll just run down what the three maps are so y'all can get them loaded up on your browsers. The first one is the Game of Thrones. And what we're looking at is the map from the very first book. And I found it on um, the Random House Books website. So randomhousebooks.com and then a Game of Thrones maps. And they have it on there. So that's the one we're going to look at. It's um, from the first book. The South and the North are the titles of those black and white maps. The second one we're going to talk about is Lord of the Rings. And in particular, it's the map by Christopher Tolkien of Middle-earth. And that one you can find on Wikipedia, I believe. Uh, Actually, no. You can find that one on the British Museum website. British Library website, a uh, map of Middle Earth by Christopher Tolkien. And the third map that we're going to talk about is the Harry Potter Marauders map. And it's actually in the movie. So it's really hard to send you to a website that would show what that map looks like. But insider.com has A article about the Marauder's Map. So if you look at Insider.com, Marauder's Map, you should be able to find an article that has a little um, picture of the map as well as a short video clip of the map. Or you can just watch the movie again, that's always fun. The map first appears in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, uh, Harry's third year at Hogwarts. So, but we're not gonna talk about that yet. So Game of Thrones is first up. So
1: uh, Gretchen knows more about the book than me uh, because she has seen it. I have not sadly read the book yet Well, or I started to, but I was reading it online via an eBooks and it didn't have the map in it. Um, So it's like my first interaction with it, but I have seen the intro map a million times for the TV show and explored the online version a lot as well. Um, But in terms of the book map, I think, it's, yet again, the type of map that I absolutely love, and um, it is reminiscent, yet again, of woodblock print, print maps. If you heard the last episode, you might know that I love that. Um, it's got so much texture in it, and of course, because this wasn't actually made with woodblock print, the like line work is a lot better. It's like cleaner and stuff, but just really, you know, the, the, the feel you want from a book like this, <laughs> it feels old when you look at it. It
0: does. And I'm gonna just come right out and say that even though this one looks old, I actually have always had trouble with these black and white maps. And I don't, I don't know that anyone else has this trouble, but let me just launch into my usual critique And y'all can yell at me if you want, but what I usually go into when I see a map like this is that I can't tell the difference between the land and the water because there's no shading. And then I get really nerdy and I start talking about gestalt and gestalt psychology. And one of, and you're not going to stop me, I'm going to talk about gestalt right now because I want to. Um, It's one of the principles is figure ground. And so like- For example, can you identify the figure from the ground? It's either stable, reversible, or ambiguous is your perception of a picture. So stable, you can clearly identify what the land is versus what the water is. Reversible, they're pretty much equal level perceptually. That one, a good example of reversible figure ground is the classic vase where it's like a black vase and white faces on either side, or it's a white vase and black faces on either side. It doesn't matter which, but depending on how you look at it, you see one figure or the other, and it's ambiguous. It's like, well, what am I looking at, a vase or, or people's faces? Um, or I'm sorry, it's reversible. And then ambiguous is that there's no distinction. And that's what I. I have trouble with with these kinds of maps and I know why they're done is probably to save ink at the printers especially many decades ago when this probably first came out or or, uh, well no this isn't even an old map so it's just probably emulating the style of the old maps. I just have a lot of trouble figuring out what the land is versus what the water is is my
1: long-winded way of saying. I do have to agree that does happen to me as well with black and white maps or grayscale maps, depending on how it's done. And, you know, this one, when you started saying that, I was like, oh, I can tell what's land and what's water. But then as soon as I forced myself to shift, like, I was like, okay, I'm going to like see, I'm going to look at the water a little. Um, So when you're looking at these kind of maps, and if you want to see if you know, that sort of optical illusion is going to happen, just kind of shift your focus to the part that you know is water. And for this, it did kind of happen where I was like, oh, no, now that looks like land. It looks like a reverse Spain in that sort of bay of ice, like if Spain kind of deformed a little. Um, so you're totally right. Yeah. Um, obviously, there is some like of the, the sort of classic uh, dashed waterline that is pulled from woodblock and copperplate um, aesthetics historically, but probably probably it would be more functional to have like sort of water ripples and water lines where it is moving away from the land, um, especially because there's no rhyme or reason in you know these modern maps to do anything a particular way. It, I always say when I tell people how to recreate Aesthetics for old maps that you can really just grab whatever you feel like works historically because no one, no one actually knows what is a particular style in the history of cartography so it'll just look old if you like add enough elements. Um, Yeah, and not to add another critique I guess but to add my one critique here and again I do love this map because it like I don't know I love the mountains I love the textures and such and I also like the way they depicted the water um I don't like the legend actually because the legend is like this perfect um you know beveled rectangle and everything else isn't um even like the The typeface was intentionally chosen to try to emulate a particular look. And then this legend is, um, except for the R's actually, the typeface is kind of, it reminds me of Times New Roman. And then with the rounded edges and the perfectly rectangular legend, it kind of takes me away from the feel of the rest of the map. Um, But yeah, there's some varying thicknesses in the outlines. which reminds me of old maps too. And overall, um, if I'm not you know, putting on my critical lens, I do really enjoy it.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. I see what you're saying about the distinction between the legend and the rest of the map, especially since they did such a beautiful job with the flourishes on the four corners, um, as well as the other parts of that neat line. It's really pretty. And then they just sort of slapped a legend on there, I guess would be the critique.
1: Yeah. I so what's also interesting so like the Westeros map um what everyone always talked about um during the Game of Thrones watching area era in that area is that it's like based off of great britain like turned upside down and flipped or something which i thought was fun like i know people like there are people who's complained about that for some reason just like general watchers but i was like that's a fantastic idea like if you're kind of feeling like you they all have, in the show they all have british accents so <laughs> it felt like it made sense <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is interesting I don't actually know this story I have the book but I only I never got past the first chapter nobody hate me and I didn't watch it when everyone else was watching it I still will someday but so I will rely on you to tell me what it's all about but um that is super interesting so you're saying that they flipped
1: this is England upside down yeah england or the uk as a whole i don't think the south is but i think the north is i don't remember but someone like made a graphic of it and i thought it was fun um i like personally think that's a great way to start making a fantasy map because you don't necessarily know where to start you know like and maybe if you start started drawing drawing out the lines yourself the coastline more than anything would probably start looking a little too Um, perfect for because you know coastlines are not perfect they're not Mm -hmm. perfect they have a lot of like interesting movement so I think that's a great idea to just flip it and move it around and it's definitely like what many folks do
0: and I think that people who create fantasy maps I should put in a plug for cartographers guild here because that is an online place for people who make fantasy maps and I know that there are people who try to make these maps more uh, automated and for example people who spend a lot of time creating algorithms that will Uh, create rivers that actually look real, that are topographically correct. And when you think about making a river, a fake river, and where it should end and where it should start and where the tributaries are, that's really complicated. And so I have talked to somebody who was working on algorithms for doing just that, creating fake terrain, fake rivers. And I imagine just, I hadn't thought of this before you said it, but I imagine the coastline is also quite difficult to get uh, to make quite real. So emulating a real country or a la- real landform would be quite the way to go, I think, in terms of realism.
1: Yeah, and now that you said that, um, I'm reminded of uh, conversations I've had where, you know, I might like a fantasy map and not be thinking about it, but then if I'm, like, speaking to someone who's really into, like, geology or other really deeply understanding the earth things which i'm not a geologist so i don't know everything about the earth itself and they'll talk about a fantasy map and say that they hate it because it's not it's not depicting like the way a mountain range would work or you know if the way a river might sit next to a mountain next to a forest next to something or other and those are thoughts that honestly would help make a world look really good and they're there, I think there are people for some like fake maps out there who do really think deeply about that, um, and it isn't something. Well, I I haven't made that many fantasy maps, so it's not something that has crossed my mind that often. So that's another thing to think about too. Or even like if you're making, you know, like mountainous areas, and if you're adding a lot of color, and if people maybe forget to add like snow or something, even though it's supposedly really elevated, like those sort of like small things. That make a big difference holistically.
0: Jeez, it's like every career you th- you think is probably simple until you really dig deep. And and yes, fantasy maps are also difficult to make, or at least difficult to make where they won't be criticized for being unrealistic.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think it's such a it's such a huge thing. Uh, we totally should talk about gaming maps in the future. Actually, it's making me think about you know, gaming maps are so intricate and they're truly building worlds and you interact with the world and you are quote, quote, quote living in the world because you're playing as a character. Um, but we'll leave that for a future episode. I just randomly thought of that. But um, I can like, uh, if you don't mind, Gretchen, I can talk about the intro to the TV show, Game of Thrones, the HBO TV show and yes. how they did it. So um, I personally absolutely love this map and I will list out all the ways. And if someone comes and tweets at me and says they hate it, well, you are I don't care because I really love it and I think it's amazing. So the first reason <laughs> is the more you expand across the universe as a viewer, like the longer you watch the show, the more the map grows in the introduction, which is absolutely fun and fascinating and such a great, great way to like engage the reader, the viewer and, you know, actually have you want to keep watching. And it's so simple to do that. Well, I mean, not simple, like designers had to make more things for it, but in terms of, you know, how much you notice, cause they, they don't change how long it goes in terms of the duration of the intro, it's simple, but it has so much impact. And I remember at the start of new season, I would just be instantly more curious, like after I realized there was something happened, cause then I'd be like, where is that place? What is it like? and then once i knew what it was like i also noticed it in the intro and had this sense of connection and understanding like it really you know pulled pulled me more towards the story that i already was engaged and in terms of aesthetics it's really it's so unique and interesting sort of textures and because it's animated and you're you know you're watching it on tv you also get to see it from different angles, the way they move the camera. They very intentionally wanted it to not just be panning over a map. They really were trying to engage you visually. And beyond that, it starts out flat. So you start out, when you first start watching it, you're from the bird's eye level, and then you zoom in and then things start becoming 3D as you're zooming in. So you kind of get a real sense of what things are like and then elevation is partially incorporated in some of some of the con the the land space like there's like contoured elevation um, very much. Uh, like a topographic sort of contour and not like smooth elevation uh, but it's still cool and then and then texturally texturally it's a very steampunk aesthetic. You're you you're getting like these gears and steam and the surfaces all like metal, including the ground, which looks really coppery, which, you know, maybe is like a really interesting sort of thing to have it be since historically they might not have had like the steam technology according to the show, I think. But it's still like really cool. And the buildings expand as you move around and get more 3D as you go to another place. Like someone clearly thoughtfully visually engineered this and really wanted everything to be perfect. Like every second of this was perfect. Like the water still had some texture and not only texture, it had some subtle waves that were animated and the inland water like rivers is a different color than the ocean water. So really well thought out cartographically. And then there's more. (laughs) So there's a grid line on this map which isn't particularly useful for us because we don't know as we're moving around which way is north, south, east or west or even what anything means because we don't know if it's like Earth. But the grid system actually helps because as you move around and move in and out, you're kind of getting a sense of scale and you're really seeing when the orientation is changing. So if you had you know, wanted to watch it and really pay attention, you would actually understand how you're moving around this map. And there's also symbology on in this short intro to the show. You see symbols that you're really familiar with or become familiar with like um, houses on the map. Some of them have the symbology of some you know well-known groups of characters that you get to know like the starks have a dire wolf which i always remember because i love wolves and therefore i love their their house symbol there's a white weirwood tree um at, during part of the intro that grows out of the ground and that's another important piece of symbology in the books and really central to some of the books and then the typeface itself is the seraphy scripty like typeface that really fits the map really well And I noticed that the labels in the water actually also move and they like they letter by letter move with a subtle wave movement, which I thought was impressive. And I definitely didn't notice that before. Um, And as you continue to move around, you kind of get a sense that you're inside, the like not on a globe where if you were on a globe, like if you were like to put your hand on a soccer ball, the soccer ball is extending out from your hand it'd be like if you had turned the soccer ball flat and then pushed your hand forward and then kind of had it covering your hand a little like you get an ana- you get a feel where you can see part of the world turning as you're moving if you've seen the movie inception there's this scene in inception where they the person is able to like move the earth somehow and things kind of fold over and that kind of happens which is just interesting because then you can still see a reference of where you just were while you're moving around so essentially I think it's absolutely fantastic it's a show are you saying saying it turns concave yes it turns concave only a part of it it turns concave at parts of it but not all of it but it's just super interesting and I also think the fact that I was always happy to watch the intro rather than skip it and and I also really love the music too like the music alongside the the map moving around it really felt like it belonged together like I would say the fact that I wanted to watch it <laughs> and continue watching it and would do it every season it means that it's really good because I often skip intros of other shows like while I like the intro you know in and on the internet you can quickly skip through an intro so you don't have to watch it
0: you know, okay, so I have a couple things to say about what you just said. One is that I sort of am wishing that, at least for this episode, we had this on YouTube or something, because (laughs) Vanessa's uh, gesticulation when she was explaining the soccer ball was awesome, and I really got a sense of what she was talking about from that. Sorry, y'all didn't get to see it, but... um, (laughs) It depends a lot. (laughs) No, that's great. And the second thing was, oh, I was just going to ask, so are you saying that as, and and keep in mind, I haven't seen this before, but are you saying that as the series went on, they actually added to the map maybe because they didn't really know, you know, what was going to happen later. And so they needed to add to the map. And then that sort of gave you this whole extra layer as a viewer Um, about the story that made you wanna watch the intro each time?
1: I think it had to have been intentional like that where you only are introduced to what you know. And well, actually, so for their online map, there's, I would say they very intentionally thought about that because when you go onto the online map, um, it's called the HBO's Game of Thrones viewers guide map. Um, The first thing that pops up before you can see the map is like this thing where it says the map only is going to show you the, you know, the map episode by episode, but if you click this, then you'll, warning, it will be, you'll have spoilers because you'll see the whole map. And I didn't click episode. I didn't click to see the episode by episode version because that would be a lot because there's five seasons. So I clicked to see everything. But I really appreciated that they did that because that also means that anyone who maybe is watching the show now and not when it came out still could kind of have that sort of interaction, interactive experience and, you know, grow and learn and also still get excited and see new things, keep coming back to the map if they wanted to, if people were interested in it. I don't actually know how much interaction this got with the general population but I do know a lot of cartographers at the time we were all talking about it because we thought it was cool um and the so the online map I will say is very different than the intro so the intro was steampunky, punky but the online map yet again is kind of pulling from how you connect to older maps in that it has like this sort of parchment texture that they overlaid and it really made it feel old. And then the features on the map are fairly simple, um, but still kind of modern as well. Like they, the way they used the drop shadow for their mountains and the way they used the drop shadows in the water, it had this very modern old feel, which if done wrong could look bad, but I really liked it, it looked good. And then they, they added in like some textural, like visual texture with rocks and trees. And yeah, it was really subtle, interesting, clean. I remember when it came out, I loved it and I still love it now. So it has stood the test of time.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm convinced I need to be taking a look at not just the maps, but getting into the story too. So, well,
1: I will warn you that if you don't like Blood and Death, it may not be a good show. (laughs) Just in case. Uh. I know people that like wanted to watch it and then they're like, Vanessa. Like, there's too much death, And I was like, but the stuff in between is great. (laughs) Okay. Well, all right. I'll give it a try. We'll
0: see. Um, So then next map that we're going to talk about is the map by Christopher Tolkien of Middle Earth in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And it's, uh, let's see. Christopher Tolkien was J.R.R. Tolkien's son, which I think is so great that It's like a father-son collab on this, Um, and it was basically published in 1954, the first book Fellowship of the Ring, and this map is a fold-out map that was in the back of the book, and it has red and white and black styling, um, which is not something you see all the time, and I imagine this was due to printing constraints where they could only have one color, but I'm not positive but i really like it it's different and you can really see the red labels on the christopher tolkien map of middle earth that we're looking at um and as far as what i would like to say about it is Again, it has the issue with the figure ground, um, but it has some vignetting along the water um, with these like ripples that you sometimes see on maps. And that is kind of cool. So you can kind of tell that that's where the land water boundary is. And then you assume, of course, where the mountains are is where the land is. So, you know, I'm probably being a little bit picky with my figure ground. stuff. But one of the really, really interesting things to me that I wanted to talk about is the mountains on here. So you see it a lot. um, And I was like, why are mountains strange on maps like this? And I got to thinking about it. And it's because they're in an oblique view, even though the rest of the map is bird's eye view. So oblique, for those who don't know, is basically slanted. So pretend you're the pilot of an airplane and you're kind of looking down on the earth, but it's sort of a slant. That's like an oblique view. If you had a glass bottom on your airplane and you were looking down, that would be the map view. That would be the the bird's eye view. They're combining those two things when you see mountains like this. And so it's a little bit different visually, and you have to get used to looking at maps like this. Um, And so I guess that's just what I wanted to say about those mountains. We see it on maps all the time. The other way that we show mountains, I mean, there's other ways to show terrain, right? We have shaded relief. uh, We have Topographic lines, which are even harder to figure out, but these are instantly recognizable as mountains, but at the same time, they're a little bit visually weird and the reason is because they're oblique.
1: Yeah, that's true. I never really deeply thought about that. Um, how looking at these maps, I, I do feel like it's slightly pitched, even though it's not um, other older. Older, I mean, this isn't actually technically an old map, but the style it's emulating is old. And right. other old uh, mountains also were depicted in a really weird and interesting way where they looked like caterpillars. Like they like had like, it looked, I don't know how else to describe it. The way the sides were drawn kind of made it look like a caterpillar with lots of feet. And they actually are ca- called caterpillar mountain ranges. Um, if you see an old map that has that mountain range, in the future after hearing this, you probably will know and say, oh my God, that's a caterpillar mountain range. Um, so you should be on the lookout for that. I actually think I I can take a picture and tweet it out actually, because I have a map in my room right now that has that. So when this episode comes out, I'll make sure to do that to explain myself. Nice. Um, but uh, I, I've i always loved this map and probably just about everyone has who's read Lord of the Rings. Um, but you know, looking at it again, as a as the (laughs) historical map expert that I am now I guess versus the kid I was when I read this book is I am honestly really impressed at how well this um emulates a woodblock print like I don't know I highly doubt this was made with a woodblock actually but they did like so in the in the neat line and the border, like the imperfections that are added and the fact that there's a complete lack of a straight line, which they could have had it be a completely straight line and then varied the texture and the width of the line work and it still would have looked like fairly similar to a woodwalk walk map, like good enough for most people. The fact that they really like, um, well, the fact that he really made sure to, you know, have it be a little not perfect and a little wobbly in some places is really impressive to me and it like it also i can see some imperfect ink you know um, splotches in the circles that are on the corners of the map and yeah same the water feature is really um distinct in that they're waves but still following that sort of repetitive line um stuff that happens in old maps and there's also a little bit of a water like, one waterline. It's not a bunch of waterlines, so one ripple, I guess, that is kind of highlighting the border of the coastline, and yeah, I just love this map. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
0: I was going through earlier today, I was because it's been about 10 years since I read the book, I was going through a summary of the book and following along the map. I'm like, okay, they start, Frodo starts in the Shire, in the little quaint England-esque hills, even though this is Middle Earth. And then he goes to Bree and he has his he does his big song, I guess, at the bar where he accidentally puts the ring on his finger and disappears, and that is on the map as being really close to the Shire. And so it's just following along, just like a reader would, and, you know, and then you get down to where you're close to Mordor, and it's, should they go west and take a break, or should the group head east into Mordor and Frodo... Uh, decides he's not going to, he's going to, he's not going to put everyone else in peril and he's going to try to sneak away to Mordor on on his own. And Sam figures it out and goes with him, which is such a nice friend thing to do. Um, And so really the story is Driven by the map and the geography. And in fact, that's very intentional. And Tolkien, even though the map that Tolkien made at the beginning um, wasn't published in the book, it was, it was his son's, he made a map of where the places were and then he wrote the story. So, I mean, that is a really cool way to write a piece of fiction is to have it be driven by the map and the geography. So, I would say that this is a cartographer's
1: book. It's driven by the map. It totally is. Uh, That's such a great way to think about it. And even like, even with books without maps, like honestly, most of them are geography driven too. Even if it's something basic, like from going, from home to the office to the bar and like the the city that they live in and probably plenty of mentions like say something set in New York City like someone totally could add a map if they wanted to to those kind of things like there's plenty of movement typically in books I would think and all of this um I forgot like as I was just staring at this you know more than I already have this week I just was like I love this I love this font in this map it just looking at it it makes me just think. I obviously don't know what any of the decisions were when making this um but i feel like this was definitely made to work really well with the map or just was made specifically for the map and then maybe used elsewhere and i think this is why i think this because okay if you look at the upper central part of the map the forward weight label just curves really beautifully and then the f itself just nestles into that stack of hills. And then if you look at the Gulf of Loon and the Bay of Belphalas, I'm sorry, I'm probably not saying any of these correctly for any diehard Lord of the Rings fans, so I'm really sorry. But the like F just really, it feels like it's curling and then curving back into the land and it just feels like it's leading you into reading the rest of the the name. And then with Bay of Belphalas, it just feels like it fits perfectly there and the way just the way some of the curves of the letters work across this map just feel like they belong on the map and then what's more those those sort of shapes and size shifts work really well with the sudden shift with the Lord of the Rings name itself it's a different font completely but I feel like it because of those similarities that I just honestly noticed now while looking at it I think it works really well like those size differences and such like yeah there's always more love this
0: (laughs) I am so glad that you brought up fonts because I really really nerded out when I was looking at some of these fonts on these old maps and I I do also love the style of this particular lettering. And I wasn't going to mention this, but when I, basically, I learned that Serif fonts have this thing called bracketing. Um, sometimes uh, and not all of them, but a bracketed font basically is where the serif, which is the little doohickeys that come off the edges of the letters, um, ha- basically ends in a point and it's not chiseled, it sort of curves off of the letter. That's that's going way down the font rabbit hole, but um, it's this thing that typeface designers do and it makes it give a very old world feel because old world typefaces were almost always bracketed serif fonts and so this is an example of that
1: yeah that's great to mention this is just everything you continuously talk about snap <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah um all right so We should probably move on, though, to Harry Potter and the Marauders map, um, which is actually in the movie. And so in that sense, it's an animated map, right? (laughs) And, um, you know if you look on the insider.com uh, page, you can see like a still picture of the front of what it looks like. And I am very impressed with this. Um, again, you see the bracketed serif in the old typeface and the person, according to the article who made the map was not like, you know, that was, this was like a prop designer, but uh, did just such a wonderful job at emulating old maps. And it makes you realize how detail-oriented a prop designer needs to be. Um, But basically this is an animated map that shows movement. And what struck me is that recently in cartographic circles, there's a lot being done on movement data. Uh, what also called trajectories. And so we have data with timestamps now for like every second, for example, or every minute. And so one example of a movement map might be, say on Wednesday, March 11th, 2021 in New York City, this is where the taxis went. Uh, This is actually where the taxis went and you can watch them move around. Um, And so that's an animated map this emulates an animated map with fake data, obviously, um, but it does the same sort of thing. It shows you where something is going on a path from one place to another. And I think that there's a lot of room for cartographic uh, creativity with these because uh, they're it's new. Um, and just the fact that the designer of this map came up with the moving footprints was amazing. I loved that. I never thought to use a footprint
1: as an icon on a map before, but it's perfect. It totally is perfect. And I think, um, like in the movie, as you said, it's an animated map, especially for us. Um, But what I particularly, well, I love a lot of things about this map, so maybe not particularly, but what I love about this map too is like, you know, in the Harry Potter world, it's like a normal thing for an animated map to exist, just like, of course this exists. It's just like the animated images and the newspaper, like you just are used, in their world, you're used to seeing this kind of this kind of stuff. And um, in terms of, you know, the existence of this map, at first, um, for anyone who may not know that much about the Marauders map, is it actually, initially is blank. Like there's nothing on it. Like you might want to throw it away because you think that it's like just a folded up piece of old paper. Um, But the magic behind it is that you tap it with your wand and say, I solemnly swear that I'm up to no good. Um, And then it kind of populates, um, it animates with everything that's going on on the grounds. You're seeing live tracking, as Gretchen said. And personally, I mean, I think it's cool, but also really creepy. But that also is the same with current data today. Like It's cool to have GPS data everywhere but it also is really creepy because you can track people and there is in fact a lot of tracking going on although that's perhaps another conversation for definitely for a future podcast but I also you know thinking about this like thing where in in you know the wizarding world people are used to seeing these advanced thing well what we what I think of as advanced because it doesn't exist here like you can't walk around with a moving piece of map and like animated ink or however this is made feels really advanced to me but juxtaposed alongside the idea that it's like this old looking map and texturally it's still sort of parchment looking and you know as Gretchen said it's very much like the woodblock map aesthetic and looking at it in depth when so I, w- I looked at the images on the article and also re-watched um, some stuff from the movie. And I just noticed that when folding it out and stuff, there were just you know really amazing details added to this where there was ink that had faded at the fold marks, which would all- obviously happen. Um, but then I started questioning like in the, you know- what- Why did it, did it not- fade? I know. Why does like, it fade if it's very- not on there all the time? Yeah, if it's magic, like, shouldn't it not fade? Like, I go into this, like, over-analysis things with magical stuff, which may be bad because it removes me from the magic of it. But then I also can't help it, like, in any space. Like, I just need to understand it logically. Like, the ink I feel like shouldn't fade and should just stay there forever because that's the point of magic. And But then it's almost, then it's just really, like... You know the complications of us creating any person in our world trying to create this fantasy that doesn't exist and then trying to think outside the box which did happen but then ultimately kind of because we live in this world and no matter what we do no matter how fantastical of a thing we come up with we'll still kind of somehow pull in what we're used to because you can't help it and that reminded me of this like show i was watching that um is like also actually, it actually probably was heavily inspired by Harry Potter now that I'm thinking about it. So it's like this girl who's in the human world and then she suddenly has magical powers. And in this particular world, people can, you have powers relative to particular elements of the earth. So she had this firepower and she ended up hurting people with her firepower. So then she got asked to go to the school just like Harry Potter. And so effectively she was a muggle in the Harry Potter well she came from the muggle world in Harry Potter sense. And she was like walking around and all this stuff and then her roommate like walked into her room with a hair straightener and an electric toothbrush. And I was like, wait, they're in like this magical world and that's weird on its own to, that you would need these tools in this magical world, but also her roommate was this person who had lived only in the magical world and had never lived on our world. So then I just was really confused. And then, you know, I just was thinking about that instead of the show. Uh, But that is like, exactly what I was thinking about when I saw those crease marks. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's such a
0: funny point to notice sort of these uh, problems, because you you just made me think about movies that are set in the future or TV shows like maybe star trek for example and yeah. you watch them and you and it, you know they came from the era that they were filmed in even though they were trying to be futuristic maybe they wear wearing bell bottoms from the 70s yeah. or they have the hairstyle of the people you know you can never get away <laughs> from where you're at right now when you're designing. And again, it comes from, I think I said in the previous episode, you know, all art is derivative. And so it's really hard to get something that's completely unique, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, But in this case, I see what you're saying is that it, it didn't make sense And I didn't even think of that, that it didn't
1: make sense. It didn't make sense, but it also totally makes sense. And like design wise, I still think that's absolutely a great thing that happened because it also easily could have not been done and it would have still looked amazing, but that sort of extra texture just really brought it into like, clearly that's been in a lot of people's pockets. Like that's been well used that has been m- mischiefly done all the time. Um, it was, yeah, like, and I definitely had never, I never thought of it when I read the book and when I watched the movie. Well, I guess in the book, I don't think you get, to, there's no map illustration, I believe, if I remember correctly. Uh, but correct me if I'm wrong on Twitter. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is, yeah. I. On the flip side though, so like, we're talking about pop culture maps and such. And in Minority Report, I believe with Tom Cruise, um, there is this map situation where he's touching things, well, not map, I guess, like he's touching a screen and moving things with his hands. And there probably is a map at some point, but that technology didn't exist then, but it does exist now. And Star Trek and that movie and all kinds of stuff have have inspired people to want to make those technologies and recreate it and emulate it. And it actually has all come to fruition. Like, fruition, to fruition, um, where Star Trek, for example, is actually the reason why Skype exists. And now, I mean, all the video chatting services and such exist because of being able to talk on, you know, those videos, which definitely didn't, that will like, that like, I didn't know that. Yeah, when I found that out, I was like, "Yes, Star Trek has inspired so much. I am a Star Trek nerd, FYI.
0: Okay, so Star Trek inspired all these
1: cool new technologies, but yet
0: maybe it's because they couldn't get the actors to change uh, hairstyles and things at the time because they wouldn't want to go out into the real world with some weird hairstyle.
1: I don't know, I'm just guessing. You know what always Um, got me? So the thing that I would overanalyze in Star Trek was... Well, and maybe in every show too, but especially in Star Trek, people having different accents. And I'd always just be like, how do you all have different accents? (laughs) When like the world isn't what it is now, you know, it can't still be the same. Like I feel like in the, technically, like statistically, people are losing accents even today. So in the future, everyone would have one accent maybe if it's so globalized or really weird accents from living in space.
0: (laughs) Not weird If I ever create a show, I don't know if I'm going to send it
1: to you, because you're going <laughs> to, <No, laughs> I'm just kidding. I, don't, like, I'm just I'm kidding. Not, like, I will
0: send it to you.
1: You'll you'll point out I the inconsistencies. I'm never mad about it. I think I just, over. I always end up just being like, logic, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, no, but that's good. I actually wanted to tie Harry Potter and the Marauder's Map, and it's like futuristic slash magical everything back to an old map. In fact, this map called Menard map. uh, And the reason I am tying it back to it initially was because like my brain just would constantly be like the Menard map. Um, And so this map is kind of famous for cartographers and also for data viz folks, it was made in 1812. And the reason why it's famous is because it's um, this really old um, map that uh, isn't just a map. Like, it's not just showing location and, you know, where a city is or what something is. It's also a chart, it's a statistical graphic. It is what, um, you know, a lot of map makers today work on, which is a geo visualization, um, something that is, you know, giving you some information beyond just location. So, you know, COVID numbers on a map, and that's automatically a geo visualization because it's giving you some information. So, uh, I, you know, kind of thought like, ooh, like I, so I teach a, a GW, a George Washington uh, University class and I nerdily said like the Marauders map is like a Menard map because it's giving you more than just location information. It's giving you data and stuff. No one laughed sadly, but <laughs> oh,
0: I like it.
1: <laughs> uh.
0: Um, yeah, the, so are you talking about the Menard map? Um, is it Russian troops? No.
1: Um, Let's see. I, I believe so, well, I don't remember. I... It might be, so the map um, unites six different data sets, geography, river cities, and battles, and armies. an army's course, an army's direction, the number of soldiers remaining, temperature and time I actually don't remember where oh yeah
0: Napoleon's disastrous Russian (laughs) campaign of 1812 okay
1: yeah and it
0: combines all of those things you were just saying yeah Yeah. um so I see what you're saying is that it the Marauders map is more of a Mm -hmm. it adds a theme to the it's not just the location of things um Mm -hmm it's giving you data to make a decision from
1: yeah yeah and like it's effectively similar i mean it's definitely not the same because the Menard map had a lot more information on it for sure and it like yeah but ultimately they're both for making a decision you're getting different information so uh i hope any Harry potter nerds out there are like my comparison. <laughs> 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 The the only
0: other thing I'm thinking of with this map is, and I think you touched on it earlier, is that we have an ethics issue today when we talk about data that has movement, because you don't want to essentially... Uh, identify individuals, um, that's an invasion of privacy. And this Marauders map is definitely an invasion of privacy, which is why it's secret, which is why you have to certify that you're up to no good. And you're, it's a, a mischievous sort of thing. So they know it's bad. They know it's ethically questionable um, and they use it anyway. And so this is, uh, this
1: hey, it's a cartographer's ethics problem. Yeah. It's definitely creepy. I, uh, I remember like people analyzed the movie one. So the people who designed the map for the movie too, they thought about this as well and how you can spy on, definitely spy on people and people show, you could tell that there was like a couple making out in a corner because of the way the feet were like, like two people are facing each other and it was like super close and someone posted about it. I was like, wow, you really analyzed that. Yeah,
0: that's, that's not information anyone else needs to know. No, yeah, like, that's, that's <laughs> like
1: an Easter egg, I guess, for anyone. Yeah,
0: <laughs> right. Uh, By the way, for those who don't know, we call them Easter eggs on maps if it's like a surprising element of a map. Cartographer will call it an Easter egg.
1: Yeah, it's like if you, um, if you ever looked for eggs on Easter which maybe you didn't but if you did then you would find an egg and hopefully find an egg filled with chocolate and great things except instead of just a boiled egg although maybe you like boiled eggs but most people wanted the candy <laughs> 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 um and like I think with that perhaps we can say mischief managed, <laughs> mischief <laughs> I, really managed. Say that. <laughs> I was so excited to say that <laughs>
0: Is that what they had to say to close the map or to make yeah, it Yeah, they,
1: they would close it because otherwise it stayed animated, which actually I have to say is a great like user experience thought that um, the, was written in because it, it could have just been forgotten. But yeah, they tapped it and then mischief, mischief managed and then it was back to being blank. Oh, I love that. I want to say that at the
0: end of each of my work days. <laughs> mischief managed, the end. end
1: (laughs) but not the end because we actually we have so we've been talking about books that aren't just books that also you know are in other uh communicative spaces and we're talking to you right now via your headphones or maybe your speakers so audio space but we also want to talk to you about a book (laughs) Yeah, so
0: we had some feedback that it would be nice to be able to read what we're saying as well. And I get that. A lot of people like to read the real physical book or um, instead of listening, I guess. And so we do have it in mind that we will publish a book of much of these conversations. And we're hoping for a publication date that's near to the end of the year, but we'll keep you updated and we hope that it will be something that a lot of people will want to read to learn about maps and enjoy learning, um, you know, even if they aren't cartographers or aren't people who work with maps day-to-day, but just are interested in the subject.
1: I definitely always enjoy being able to quickly reference something. I don't know how many books I've bought where I'm like, oh, I need to just look up this one thing that I know i heard about once. So, um, hopefully others feel the same way and that's definitely the intent around there and yes. then it's like you can compare things <laughs>
0: yes for sure for sure so with that announcement um we'll leave you until the next episode
1: bye mischief managed <laughs> mischief
0: managed